We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. Rick Green this afternoon. You got Walker Wildman on Mondays and Wednesdays, and Fridays are up for grabs. I'm with you Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I sure appreciate the opportunity to share, especially, especially at a time such as this. Wow. I, I, I am, I, I'm going to try not to be speechless because this would be a pretty boring radio program if I was speechless this whole hour. But I am beside myself, folks. I'm telling you, I am celebrating with you and praising God for the decisions from the court over the last few days and weeks. I, I, I am telling you, I, I did not think we would see this much good in such a short period of time. So it is an exciting time. We're going to have a great time this hour, and I'd love to hear from you. The phone number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Again, my name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator and known as America's Constitution Coach because we've put so many people through our Constitution classes and biblical citizenship classes. And all throughout these classes, all throughout the years, we have taught that the court is outside of its boundaries, that it's beyond what the Constitution or the Founding Fathers ever intended for it to, to be or do. In fact, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 78 told us we'd never have to worry about the court taking away our liberty, never have to fear your liberty being attacked from the court. And that sounds weird that he would say that since the court has been the source of, of, of restricting liberty and overturning the Constitution for the last 50 years. But he said in Federalist 78, I mean so long as the court stays in its lane. As long as the court does what the court's designed to do, it'll be a blessing to the American people. If it ever gets into the other two branches, that ever, if it ever acts like the legislator, meaning if it ever makes law instead of applying law, if it ever becomes like the president, the executive branch, if it ever tries to be the branch that is enforcing the law, then he said you would have everything to fear from the court. And that's exactly what happened. And so for the last, I said 50, really it's 60 years, the court has dismantled the freedom of religion, beginning in 62 with Ingle V. Vitell saying no voluntary prayer in school, and then in Abington V. Shemp Murray V. Collette the very next year in 63, it said no Bible in our schools and went on to say that you couldn't pray at a football game, that the Pledge of Allegiance was unconstitutional, that the Ten Commandments could not even be in a school. That was a case called Stone v. Graham in, in 1980, and then, of course, in the early 70s with Roe v. Wade, and then in 90, uh, early 90s with, uh, with the Casey v. Planned Parenthood case, um, creating rights out of thin air, creating a right to take a human being's life, creating a right to abortion. And the court had to do all kinds of backflips and twist itself into a pretzel. It had to even create new theories of law, things like substantive due process and, and all of these crazy theories, the, the lemon test to, in order to take away your right of, of uh, your free exercise of your religion. So the court has been horrific for 60 years. And now, all of a sudden, in a matter of days, this Supreme Court has reversed, this Supreme Court has returned to the Constitution and said, 
something that, that I don't think anybody's really talking about. Mark Levin talked about it Sunday night, but I, I don't hear anybody else talking about this. The, the, the court has actually taken the position, we don't have the power to do what you want us to do. Now just pause for a minute and enjoy this moment. People in power willing to say our power is limited. People in power at the highest level of one of the three branches at the federal government of the United States of America willing to say we do not have unlimited power and we are not willing to to, to act in a way that is beyond the scope of the design of the Constitution. This is a seminal moment in American history. This is a restoration of federalism, a restoration of of constitutional limitations, a restoration of the separation of powers, not only the separation of powers between the three branches of the federal government, but most importantly in the in the Dobbs case that overturns Roe v. Wade, a restoration of the separation of powers between the states and the federal government. And so here you have six of nine justices willing to say no. That is, I mean, I, I don't know if you're comprehending this or not. For me, it had to sink in for a little bit. This is an incredible moment in American history. This is a moment that should give us hope because up to this point in my entire life, certainly my entire professional career, certainly my entire life as an attorney and ever since I went to law school, the court has not been willing to say that. The court has stepped into things it never had the authority to do. The court has constantly been seeking, as even the court said in some of these decisions, uh, ha has exercised policy decisions in search of constitutional principles or constitutional rights. In other words, they've thought about what they wanted in 72 and 73. It was, <clears throat> we want abortion. We want to legalize abortion. We want to create a right for an abortion. And so they had to seek out some constitutional right. They had to they, in search of, as they would say, in search of a constitutional provision, which they never found. And so they had to make this stuff up. And that's why it's been so confusing and so difficult for states to be able to grapple with the Supreme Court decisions of the last 60 years because the Supreme Court was outside of its lane. It was making law instead of enforcing law, not enforcing law, but applying law instead of applying the Constitution, instead of saying, Okay, this thing that you were doing in whatever state it was, for whatever issue it was, when we measure that against the written Constitution, because guess what, folks? We are a constitutional republic. We are not a democracy. We are not even just a republic where we elect people to go make up the law as they choose. No, <clears throat> we limit them through the Constitution. And so the court's role has always been appropriately to measure whatever the issue before it was. So when you sue based on some constitutional right not being allowed or you sue uh, for some reason, once that case gets to the Supreme Court, they look at all the facts and circumstances in that particular situation and they measure it against the Constitution or against the statute at, 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 at hand in, in that particular case. That's a proper role for the court. But for the last 60 years, who cares what the Constitution says? What feels good to us? What feels right to us based on what we see in the culture? That's how the court has operated and that's why I've said since we began our Constitution classes at Patriot Academy, I've always said it, we don't live under the Constitution. We live under the Constitution. And so for 60 years, the Constitution has been the law of the land. Literally a witch's brew. People in black robes got around their little kettle 
And they threw a phrase in here and a phrase in there, and they created law. They made up law. They made up the lemon test, and they made up all these other tests to somehow uh, create a new law in America rather than following the Constitution and the will of the people. And that constitution, I, I, I honestly did not think the court would reverse itself and overrule its own constitution. I did not think the witch's brew would literally be turned over, that the kettle would be turned over by some of those people in black robes. I thought it would take, I, I, I just, I didn't think we would get here through court decisions, reversing prior court decisions, and the court actually saying, no, we do not have the power under the Constitution to enforce the things that you want us to enforce. This is a decision to be left to the elected representatives in this in this nation. And so as a result of having now six justices willing to do that, willing to say no and, and credit where credit is due, we would not be having this conversation today if it were not for Donald Trump. If Donald Trump had not been president, if he had not won the 2016 election, just think what the court would be doing right now. Instead of Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Barrett being on the court, able to combine with Thomas and, and Alito and Roberts, able to follow the lead of, if you will, Thomas and Roberts. Thomas has been laying the groundwork for this for 31 years. For 31 years, he has been toiling away in the minority on the court. Once in a while, he was able to cobble together a majority and get a decision like Heller on the Second Amendment right to keep a, a gun in your home, uh, or like McDonald to say that, that the Second Amendment does apply to local entities. But now, now, he's got a majority that, that is just churning out decision after decision after decision, chock full of history and constitutional principles, restoring the very things that made this nation great in the first place. So I'm... I could go on and on about just the moment, the, the, the magnitude, the tectonic decisions that have been handed down. But, but I want to get in the weeds a little bit. I want, to, I want to dive into these decisions. So let me just kind of rattle off some of the things that have happened in just the last week or two with the U.S. Supreme Court. The, the, the first big one uh, that, that, that really signaled this is a court that is going to have the guts to do the right thing was the, the school choice decision out of Maine. So first we get this decision that says... When, when you are dealing with education and you're going to give parents the right to choose where to send their kid, you cannot nix schools and, 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 and exempt schools and not allow for schools that have religious instruction. That is a violation of the First Amendment. You are saying specifically, we will discriminate against you because of your faith. And so the Supreme Court said, nope, we're going to uphold the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so we're not going to allow that. That was a big one. That was like, wow, okay, that's a big case. And then we get the Bruin case last Thursday. And if you were listening last Thursday to the show, then you know. I mean, I was already overwhelmed and excited about the fact that we were restoring Second Amendment right, not just to keep a firearm in your home, like the Heller case said, but the right to keep and bear arms, to take that firearm with you and have that firearm, specifically a handgun, uh, on your person, Wherever you go, so that when you're in the grocery store or the Walmart or the church or wherever you are, when the wolf shows up, when the crazy person shows up to take life, when a dedicated murderer shows up to kill people, that you have the ability to respond. That is a constitutional 
right. That is a, a law of nature. The founders called it the first law of nature, self-defense. And so this decision that was handed down last last Thursday, just a phenomenal, phenomenal case, both the um, uh, the majority opinion that, that Thomas writes and then the concurring opinion that Alito writes. And as you know from last Thursday, I said his concurring opinion was poetically beautiful. And I read a lot of it to you on the air because it was so good because he was asking the very questions that show how foolish the left is, how childish they are in thinking that they can outlaw certain types of guns or make it so difficult or in, in New York's case that this case was about impossible for you to be able to get a permit and be able to carry a firearm to defend yourself in these situations. And the Supreme Court said, uh, absolutely not, New York. We're overturning your ridiculous scheme that 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 literally prevents people from being able to defend themselves, takes away their constitutional rights. So that was a huge victory. I don't have to go all, all through that. So before we get to the break, I want to try to get through just a general view of some of these cases. And then Friday, of course, the big one, the one we've fought for for decades and decades, Dobbs overturns. Roe v. Wade, Dobbs overturns KCV Planned Parenthood. This is so, so huge. Uh, this is a, a massive change in, 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 in the philosophy of the government, the philosophy of the court, and of course, the issue of life. Now, we know, everybody knows this already, but it does not end abortion in America, but it returns it to the state's. And, and, and this gives states the ability to end abortion in their state, and it gives us the ability to uphold the right to life. It's a massive, massive decision and a major, major change in what's going on out there. So we'll, we'll dive much further into that one. And then, of course, yesterday we get another victory, the Coach Kennedy case, this one written by Gorsuch. And by the way, Dobbs was written by Alito. That's the one that was leaked uh, weeks ago. And then there's a great concurring opinion by Thomas in that one. They just basically flipped roles on Friday and, and, and continued uh, to amaze us uh, with both of all. But first of all, their brilliance, but the historical precedent that they write about in these cases is so, so good. I really encourage you to read them. And then the Coach Kennedy case yesterday, yes, we're going to uphold your right to live out your faith, that, that you can pray. What's what's shocking here is that you have three justices that don't think you should be able to pray by yourself at the 50-yard line or, or wherever else it might be, that you have to hide if you're going to express your religion. There's three justices that think that, but thankfully six that said, absolutely, we're going to uphold the First Amendment and we're going to squeeze the last bit of juice out of that lemon test and get rid of it. So we'll get into what all of this means for us and when where we're headed as a nation, but I'm just going to say this before we go to break. There is hope for America, folks. These are massive decisions, and it could be a true turning point for America. Stay with us. You're listening to AFA at the Core. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The day of Pentecost concluded with 3,000 converts being added to the initial body of 120 believers. Then that 3,120 spent time together daily, going to the temple and interacting in each other's homes. They devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing meals together, and praying together. The 3,120 that made up the early church came from Turkey, the Middle East, and Africa, and included Arabs and Romans. In addition to the geographic and ethnic diversity, they also spoke different languages. Yet they were made one family in Christ Jesus. Scripture has the answer to the issues we face today. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising God the Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. If you've ever been on or around a military base early in the morning or late in the afternoon, you know all too well the feeling of having to stop everything, no matter the importance of the task at hand. Twice each day, the bugle sounds, cars stop driving, and people stop walking. These moments force the busyness to stop and resets the mind on the mission. Is your girl experiencing the frustration of a forced pause? Help her find God's hand in the waiting by turning to Scripture. Together, reflect on how Ruth waited and how she might have prepared her heart for the future God had in store for her, had she known the great joy that was ahead. God presses the pause button sometimes, but His timing and His plans are perfect. Want to learn more? Read about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Did you know that over 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe vs. Wade? Every single one of these babies' lives was dear and precious. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing women considering abortion to their precious preborn baby. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you this afternoon. My website is PatriotAcademy.com, PatriotAcademy.com. If you'd like to take one of those Constitution classes I was talking about in the first segment that has been teaching the very things that Thomas and Alito express in these decisions the last few days, as well as Gorsuch's decision yesterday, on freedom of religion. We've been teaching that in our Constitution classes for years, trying to educate people on this so that you would then elect people that would then appoint people <laughs> that would share that philosophy, that Founding Fathers philosophy of being a strict uh, constructionist, uh, of being an originalist, of actually saying the Constitution means what it says. Don't go outside the Constitution. If you want to change it, fine, do the amendment. That's, that's why we have 27 amendments. We've needed to change or clarify things in the Constitution 27 times. Nothing wrong with that. It's not holy writ. It's not something that, you know, doesn't get changed. Uh, but don't change it by fiat. Don't change it by unelected, unaccountable lawyers on wa- in Washington, D.C. on the U.S. Supreme Court rewriting the Constitution. That's the wrong way to do it. And that's what's been happening for 60 years, really 90 years, because it really goes back to their changing the Commerce Clause and allowing the federal government to expand. But this court, what this court is saying is the opposite of what people in, in, are, are trying to say. What, what, what people are trying to say is the court is taking away a constitutional right. The court is telling me what to do with my body. No, the court's doing the opposite. The court's saying, not our call, not our decision. This is to be left to the elected representatives. This is a policy decision that must be made by the states. 
What the court is upholding are actual constitutional rights instead of made up constitutional rights like abortion, which the court made up the right for that. That's what the substantive due process decisions do. They make up rights and add them to the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. And so what the court's saying is no more making up rights. We're going to uphold constitutional rights that are actually listed. You know, where there's actual language saying that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's not something uh, that a court made up. That's not the phrases thrown into the witch's brew of the constitution. That's not some, you know, uh, person trying to sound highly educated and make this up in one of their opinion. No, no, no. That was agreed upon by the people that represented the states that put that into the Constitution. So it's actual language in the Second Amendment. That's the kind of thing the court should uphold. Or, as we mentioned earlier, Congress shall make no law respecting the established religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So not prohibiting your free exercise of religion, nor bridging the freedom of speech. So not preventing you from speaking what's on your heart and your mind. Those are actual words in the Constitution. So those are real constitutional principles. And this court, this current makeup of the United States Supreme Court, at least six of the nine are saying those are the things that we should be upholding. And then these made up things. No, we're giving that back to the states and letting the states decide on those issues. So these are big, big, big cases. I was trying to find, you know, I actually I actually encourage you to read these Supreme Court decisions. I would have never done that in the past. I, I'll be honest with you. I hated reading opinions of the court when I was in law school and ever since then because they I, they just try to be so, I don't know. They, they, they It's like they try to show off. I, I don't even want to use the word intelligence because it's not even really intelligence too often. It's, it's, it's they try to show off their vernacular. They try to show off the big words, right? And I, I'm, I, I admit it. I'm a country boy. I'm just a country boy from Dripping Springs, Texas, and I like things simple, all right? I, I just, I think the courts have for too long complicated what should have been simple issues. And I think the founding fathers were with me on this. I mean, I, I tend to, I tend to, to, to maybe Sam Adams, maybe, maybe, um, you know, Patrick Henry, these guys are the ones that, that I would have really identified with if I had lived at the time of the founding. But I, I just, I, I've always just had a hard time getting through these Supreme Court decisions because they complicate things so much when it's not necessary. And the reason they're doing it is because they're twisting themselves into a pretzel, like we said in the first segment, to come up with some new constitutional right. Well, that is not the situation with these decisions released in the last few days. I've actually enjoyed reading these decisions, not because they ended up going the the direction that I wanted them to go, but because for whatever reason, Thomas and Alito both, I think, have taken taken this uh, a purposeful direction of writing these opinions in a way that we actually can be educated as American citizens, where they're literally teaching us history and they're laying it out in a way that we can understand. And that's the way it should be. So I'm going to encourage you to do something I'm not encourage you to do typically, and that is actually read these these Supreme Court decisions. Now, they're long, I, I will admit. I mean, the, the Coach Kennedy case is like 75 pages. The, the Dobbs case is like 200 and something pages. Uh, the Bruin case is not short. I forget. It's like 100 and something pages. Anyway, but it is good reading. It's it's actually educational. Even read the dissents because you'll realize how foolish <laughs> these people are that are actually on the U.S. Supreme Court. They don't make any sense. It's more rambling. But the majority opinions, read them. They're great. And, and, and just to read the words 
that Roe is overturned, that Casey is overturned, uh, is is uh, is uh, a, a an enjoyable thing in and of its in and of itself. So here's what's what's going to happen now. So this, um, this 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 Dobbs case sends it back to the states, and we have multiple states now that had trigger laws that abortion is is uh, being outlawed immediately in those states. Some of them, it was a 30-day trigger after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. <clears throat> Some of them, it's uh, immediate. Um, you've got states like Oklahoma that just passed a uh, probably the most um, pro-life bill in the, in the country. I think if I understand it right, it's, it, it's immediately upon conception. So there's no 15-week, no heartbeat, none of that stuff. It's, it's you, you, if you know there's a baby there and, and you abort it, that is against the law. All of these laws, and by the way, all of these laws go after the doctor, not the mom. Um, and so that's very important as well. The Texas laws that were in place even before Roe v. Wade that now are, you know, once again, the law of the land in Texas, um, same thing. They go after the doctor, not the mom. That's an important distinction. So uh, this now, that what that means is this takes the battle for life back to the local level, which is good because now all of us can be engaged in this. You you may have felt like you couldn't have any impact on a on a Supreme Court justice or on a United States senator or even a congressman, certainly not the president, but that you can impact who is your state rep or state senator. So every state is, I promise you, going to have a ton of bills filed in the next legislative session dealing with abortion. Now, blue states like California and Massachusetts, they will probably expand abortion beyond what was allowed under Roe v. Wade, because Roe v. Wade at least limited it somewhat and said no third trimester abortions. Uh, Now, some of these states free of Roe will potentially expand abortion even beyond what they were doing before. But most states, probably about 30 to 32 states, will limit abortion, um, potentially outlawing it completely, uh, but certainly um, anything beyond 10 or 12 or, or 15 weeks. So the, that's good, but that's going to take some effort, and it's going to it's going to depend on who's in the legislature, which is, which is how it should be. I mean, that's the elected representatives to go make these decisions. So we're about to have immense battles in every single state. And I, and I say all that to say you can do something about this. So get involved. Pay attention to what's happening in your state. Pay attention to who's running for state representative and state senator in your state. And make sure that you're electing pro-life legislators uh, that will support this. At the same time, support legislators that are pro-convention of states. Because if, if you like the fact that, that we're restoring federalism and we're getting these issues back to the states, then you should like a convention of states because uh, not every issue is going to get to the U.S. Supreme Court. I do think this court will enforce federalism more and more and more on a lot a lot of issues we got a big one coming up may get handed down to today or tomorrow we'll see, or tomorrow or the next day but that's the west virginia case against the epa um, that case could restore federalism on energy now if it goes the other way it's going to embolden the the white house and, and they're already trying to go after the permian basin in west texas and 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 and, and prevent more drilling and they're doing everything they can to destroy the economy, to increase energy uh, prices in order to force people into the Green New Deal, which is horrible. If this Supreme Court decision from West Virginia goes the other way and says, no, the federal government has no say in this, this is a state issue, which is what the court used to say um, until a few years ago, and I forget the name of the case, but it essentially emboldened the FDA, uh, not, not FDA, I'm sorry, EPA to do these things. Um, so this decision, this West Virginia decision that, that could come out in the next few days, uh, could be another another landmark decision, but but all of these decisions lean towards, or actually <laughs> lurch towards, federalism, and that's good. 
But if you want more federalism, which means the states decide, not the federal government, you should support a convention of states. Let's get the feds, the federal government, out of education, out of agriculture, out of our health care. None of those things are listed in the Constitution. They are not even mentioned in the Constitution because the founding fathers knew that's thing, those are things that should be left up to local government and state government, not the federal government. So let's press the gas right now. This is a great opportunity to restore federalism. The court has led the way here. They're restoring constitutional jurisdictions. They're restoring federalism, and we can help to press that forward at the local level. So highly, highly encourage you to pay close attention to your state legislators because they're the ones that will decide whether or not we continue to move that direction. Phone number today is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. If you just want to call in with a praise the Lord for overturning of Roe v. Wade or you've got a comment or question, that's the number to call, 888-589-8840. Uh, now, listen, I know some people are going to say, um, I can already tell the hate mail I'm going to get uh, from some people saying, well, Rick, you've said the court's the problem and the court shouldn't be sticking its nose into these things and the court shouldn't be making these major decisions all these years. And now you're celebrating the court. So you just like it because you've got a, a court that'll do the things that you want. I, I, I'm seeing all that stuff on, on, on social media and they're missing the whole point. What we're celebrating is the court getting out of the business of making law, getting out of the business of making political decisions. We have always said the court's only role is to defend constitutional rights and apply the law before them. It is never to make law. It is never to to make up these complicated tests that, that make it almost impossible for someone to even know what their rights are, let alone how to defend them. And that's what the court is backing away from here. So what it's doing is it's upholding constitutional rights that are actually listed in the Constitution. That, that's what we saw with the Bruin case on the Second Amendment. That's what we saw with the, um, the main uh, school choice case dealing with freedom of religion. And then again with the Coach Kennedy case dealing with freedom of religion. And then the Dobbs case was saying there is not a constitutional right to abortion. And, and, and that's probably where we should spend the rest of this segment before we go to our next break. And, th and that is what the Dobbs case specifically says and and does. The beauty of what Alito does in this decision is that he picks apart what the court did in Roe v. Wade, and he shows how they made this thing up from the beginning. And they, they lied. They lied to the American people about the history of abortion in America and in England and the, and the history of 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 laws against abortion. Because here's how this whole substantive due process thing works, okay? This is what Thomas is is going after and some people are some people are really nervous at this point because he says in the concurring opinion on Dobbs he says oh by the way since we're showing here that substantive due process is not a good way to hand, to to do decisions y'all should bring someone should bring back cases to the Supreme Court on um gay marriage yep that one's going to get revisited that's the Oberfeld case on um, even the uh, e even the Griswold case that set all this up. Now, that was about contraceptives. I don't think there's nobody saying they're going to take away your right to contraceptives. What they're saying is the legal theory that was used to win that case, known as substantive due process, that needs to be revisited. And just a really quick constitutional lesson on this. Here's what, here's what substantive due process is. It's a made-up constitutional principle. The, 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 the phrase substantive due process is not in the Constitution. It doesn't exist in the actual Constitution. It only exists in the fantasy land of the Constitution. And Thomas has been after this for years, and he dismantles it piece by piece in this Dobbs uh, concurring opinion. 
And and what it what it basically comes down to is due process, which is when you think of due process, think of the fact, think of the idea of being able to have a hearing, being able to have uh, witnesses, being able to confront witnesses against you, being able to present evidence, being able to have, um, you know, require warrants before there's a search. Um, the, the types of things due process is is really was really a pushback against England that was doing these general warrants, for instance, where they could go in for anything and everything. And that's why the Fourth Amendment says they have to be very specific about exactly what they the judge is allowing them to go in and search. <clears throat> and so due process, you value it even if you can't define it. You really want good due process. And so the, in the Fifth Amendment, it talks about not being deprived of your of your property without due process. So they can't take your property without, even though eminent domain is, is a constitutional uh, principle, unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of eminent domain, but it is there and you do need to have highways and, and eminent domain is necessary for those sorts of things. But it says you can't be deprived of your property without the process, without a way for you to challenge how much they pay you for it and compensation for it and all those things. And then the 14th Amendment gives you due process as you cannot be deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process. Doesn't mean you can never be deprived of those things. So if you're a mass murderer and we decide to put you to death, you're going to be deprived of life. But there's going to be due process before that happens. You're going to have a court uh, hearing You're gonna and, and, and trial. You're going to have counsel. You're going to have all of these things. And that's due process. Same thing with with, you know, depriving you of your liberty. We're going to put you in jail if you commit a bunch of crimes. But we have to do due process. But what the court did was they took that phrase dealing with process and they created new rights that the process would protect. So the rights are nowhere else in the Constitution. They just get created this right to privacy for your body to be able to um, have an abortion and, and kill someone else. Um, this, the, these things that they made up uh, in order to pass these new concepts in America that had never been part of our American way of life. So, so it's all about policy goals in search of constitutional justification and substantive due process has been the excuse um, all of these years. And so Clarence Thomas just destroys that and, and, and basically says, bring it on. Bring us more cases that were, that were decided based on substantive due process, and we're going to revisit them. And if it turns out you actually have a constitutional right to those things uh, somewhere other than this substantive due process idea, then you'll get the due process that is guaranteed in the 14th Amendment. But we're not going to make up some new constitutional right to whatever it is that you're making up. So this is really, really good. Again, restoring actual constitutional principles instead of made-up constitutional theories that the court has done over the years. Okay, I didn't get to the phones yet, but we're going to do that right when we come back. So Mary in Texas, hang on there. You'll be our first caller when we come back from the break. Again, folks, this is a time to celebrate, okay? And it should be a time of encouragement. This should give you hope for America. These massive decisions tell you we've got a chance to save this country. We've got a chance to restore our constitutional republic and restore biblical values. So hang in there. Stay in the fight. Stay with us. We'll be right back on AFA at the Core. Dear One Million Moms, I've always thought that maybe your organization was making a mountain out of a molehill. But today, I cannot believe what I just saw on my TV. Concerned about the trash flowing into your home through today's media that simply will not censor itself? Make your voice heard. If you see trash in the media, tell us. 
Use the Submit Trash button at 1millionmoms.com. That's 1millionmoms.com. And thanks. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Abraham Hamilton III, host of The Hamilton Corner. American Family Association is on the front lines in the culture war in America. We've been here for more than 40 years fighting for the biblical principles our nation was founded upon. And by God's grace, we are making a difference. One significant way you can join us in this battle is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. Not only will the charitable gift annuity benefit you, but it will benefit the culture-transforming work of American Family Association. Contact the AFA Foundation today to learn how you can shore up permanent income for your retirement years while supporting American Family Association. A charitable gift annuity helps you and it allows AFA to impact America for generations to come. Phone 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net. AFA at the Core podcast are available at afr.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. Rick Green with you. I'm America's Constitution coach and a former Texas legislator. You can learn more at patriotacademy.com. Patriotacademy.com for the website. And you ought to get into a Constitution class with us, especially right now with these landmark. I mean, landmark's not even, I mean, that's so overused. Tectonic. I mean, world-changing decisions being handed down by the Supreme Court right now. It'd be great to have a good understanding of the framework of the Constitution and how this thing's supposed to work. So check out PatriotAcademy.com today. And by the way, it's free. So all of our we give our Constitution classes away for free, and you can become a coach for free, which means not only do you take the class, but you help others to learn these things as well. You don't have to know anything about them. You're the lead learner. So all you got to do is get people in the room, hit play on the videos, pass out the books, and have a good time. I promise you'll enjoy it. Last comment on these decisions, then let's get to the phones. we got a lot of calls. We'll see how many we can get to in our final segment today. But on this um, Freedom of Religion case for Coach Kennedy, this was big, folks. The left wants zero personal religious expression. They hate it. 
They hate it when you acknowledge God. They do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They're Romans 1 all the way. They hate acknowledgments of God. And that's what they've been doing to us for 50, 60 years, especially in our schools. That's why our schools have become so non-religious and anti-religious, because they only want people in those schools that aren't like Coach Kennedy. So they think that being offended is somehow coercion. Listen, the Declaration doesn't say life, liberty, and to never be offended. You ought to be able to put up with someone exercising their faith even when it's different from yours. So thank you to the court for restoring common sense, restoring constitutional language and basic principles of liberty. This is all very, very good news. Okay, let's jump into the phone calls for today. The first one is going to be from Mary in Texas. Mary, thanks for calling. And if you're calling from Texas, you always got to tell me where in Texas you're calling from. Commerce, Texas. Commerce, Texas. Oh, that's painful for me, Mary. My very last baseball game was against Commerce. They beat us by one run in the playoffs all the way back in 1989. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mary. What's your question today? Thank you for taking my call today. Um, My question is, where or when did it start that the President of the United States gets the executive order? I mean, it's touched on every aspect of American people's lives. This um, doing away with federal funding to schools if they don't teach the transgender. And I thought, how can one man have such authority over millions of people when he's he's not the lawmaker? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's a fantastic question, Mary. Thank you so much for calling in. This is this comes straight out of the Constitution, and it is constitutional to do executive orders, but that's only in order to execute the law. In other words, it's supposed to be an executive order is not supposed to make stuff up like the president just did. Like this whole thing of, of I'm going to withhold your lunch money if you don't implement a radical LGBTQ, radical sex agenda with little kids, right? He's basically saying if you don't allow men into girls' bathrooms, if you don't allow for this drag queen stuff, if you don't allow for this radical agenda that's out there in schools, I'm going to take away your lunch money, all right? That's that's his latest you know, executive order. The stuff he's doing is unbelievable. His, his, his willingness to use an executive order to shut down energy, to, to cause everybody's gas prices to be doubled and tripled since he's been in office. Most all of that has been done through executive order, stopping the private market from being able to, to do pipelines and drill and all of those different kinds of things. So he is he is violating the Constitution. He's violating the separation of powers. He's he's violating all kinds of things. But the the concept of an executive order is constitutional. So if the Congress passes some law and says, you know, we want this, um, I, I'm trying to think of a good example, we want this this, um, this base built, this military base built over here in this particular area. Well, then now the military has to do that, and that's the executive branch. And the president can use an executive order to say, uh, this. the Congress gave me the ability to, to decide how this was going to be built, and so here's an executive order telling people how to do it. That's what an executive order typically is. It's implementing a law that Congress passed. George Washington did executive orders. Every president has done them. So they can be execu- they can be constitutional or they can be unconstitutional, and it all depends on are they actually executing a law passed by the representatives of the people in Congress. Joe Biden is clearly not doing that. He is making up law by fiat. He's being a dictator. So the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, the the all the different things that he's done over the last 
year and a half. Unconstitutional all the way. Now, how does he get away with it? That's kind of part of Mary's question. Why, why do we not stop this from happening? Well, when one branch of government gets outside of its authority, the other branches have to push back. That's what separation of powers, checks and balances, that's what that's all about. And so if the court or the Congress allows him to do these things and doesn't push back, then he gets away with it. If the states don't push back, he gets away with it. And so there's there's several ways that a president can be stopped from an executive order that's unconstitutional. The most often way is people sue and say, we're not going to implement that executive order. It's unconstitutional, and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rules and says, you overstepped your boundaries. Now, the court has been very unwilling to do that over the last few decades. This court, this new court, they may do it. We'll see. We'll see. But Congress also, another of the three branches, can push back and pass laws that that, that limit how much a, a particular statute can be, um, you know, how fungible it is or how much wiggle room the president has to execute those laws. Most importantly, though, the states can overrule a president's executive orders if they will do their job. State legislators need to do their job under the Constitution. They can overrule the president. They can overrule the Congress. They can overrule the Supreme Court. They do not have, the federal government does not have the final say. States have the final say. Through Article 5, amending the Constitution, they can overturn any of these actions at the federal level if they'll just do their job. But that takes courage to stand up and say, we're going to do a convention of states where the feds have no say in how we amend the Constitution to overrule the federal government. Now, we've overruled federal action before. We've overruled Supreme Court decisions with constitutional amendments. Uh, the 11th Amendment did that, for instance. So that's it can be done. We just have to have state legislators that are willing to stand up and do it. At this point, you've got 19 states that are, that have called for a convention of states to overrule federal overreach, but we need 34 states to do that. So got a long way to go, lots of work to do. If you'd like to be a part of that one, you can go to conventionofstates.com. If you live in North Carolina, put the pressure on your state senators. We've already passed it in the House in North Carolina. You've got a couple of state senators that are holding it up in North Carolina, which means they're holding up the protection and restoration of the Constitution. So make those calls in North Carolina and get them to get off the fence and get the job done. Okie dokie, we've got, uh, let's see, next call is Patrick in Kansas. Patrick, thanks for calling into the program. What's your question or comment? Hey, how you doing, sir? Doing well, sir. Thank you for calling. Hey, God bless you guys. Hey, I'm a state legislator out here in the great state of Kansas. Excellent. Uh, out of the Wichita area. So I appreciate your service and uh, that you've had prior, and I appreciate you bringing up these important talk topics with the great insight that you are. Quick question, and I'll take your uh, response offline. And maybe we can talk again later if uh, your producer wants to get my number. But my question was, concerning personhood, if the Supreme Court was actually going to go full throttle on this, why didn't they address personhood? Because then that would send that back to the states, since the science is caught up and they told us to trust the science, that we now know that uh, babies are indeed human beings, uh, and you can't take the life of a human being. That's the first piece. Uh, is there a strategy for that, or are they looking for more cases to come back up and address that? Uh, and then the other piece is out here in Kansas, we have something uh, coming up in our primary on August 2nd of this year, uh, the value of both constitutional amendment. And uh, we really need to get some help uh, getting the word out and prayers for that so that we actually get that on our Constitution uh, so that the people can speak, give the consent of the government and the, and the, the people's intent so that uh, Kansas does not become a destination abortion state uh, uh, for abortion tourism like um, you know the, the left wants us to be. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah. 
Superb call, Patrick. Thank you so much, and thanks for serving in the Kansas legislature. Um, so on the on the on the first one, you know, hundred percent. I mean, if I had had my way, and we truly followed verbatim the Constitution, um, this decision could have been way way better, right? They could have actually said that baby is life, and therefore it has protection under the Fourteenth Amendment, equal e- equal protection, um, all, all the same privileges and immunities as anybody outside the womb. It is life, like you said. The science is clear. We know this now. It's not like it used to be where you couldn't tell or it was guesswork as to when it became life. We know how soon it can live outside the womb. I mean, all whatever standards you want to use, they could have gone a lot further and said, we're going to outlaw abortion in all states based on these facts and these things. They could have done that. Uh, and frankly, it would have been constitutional for them to do that. I, I think, honestly, uh, they were, you know, ca- on that part, realizing that to do so probably would have sent us into a civil war at this point with how, how bad the left is and how willing they are to be violent. And by sending it back to the states, they said this has been su-. and Alito kind of alludes to all of this in his in his uh, opinion, because he talks about this is such a divisive issue that it has to be left to the representatives in the individual states to decide this. Now, granted, listen, we can draw the analogy to slavery here, right? I mean, we, by putting slavery off and not outlawing slavery from the beginning and leaving it up to the states to decide whether or not they wanted to have slavery, it ultimately did lead to a civil war, and a civil war was required to to end slavery and protect the life, liberty, um, and property of every human being in, in America. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that, to, to that, and I hope that this gives us a chance to now have sanctuary states for life and have, have um, uh, the vast majority of the country protect life, but I think it's going to take more time before we're able to end abortion in those in those radical left, uh, radically blue states that uh, that have come to to see abortion almost like a religion. But really, really good point, Patrick. Couldn't agree with you more on the right thing to do here. But the political practicality of getting there, it's going to it's going to take more time. And I know that's not fun. That's not good to hear. And more lives will be lost in, in the meantime. But unfortunately, that's exactly where uh, where we are. OK, Karen in Tennessee. Let's try to get in a couple more calls before we run out of time today. I love taking your calls, by the way, and look forward to getting more of them on, on Thursday when I'm back with you. But Karen, go ahead from Tennessee. All right. Uh, yes, I guess I'm a little confused. Uh, you have used the word federalism to refer to um, trying to get the federal government out of the state and so forth. <laughs> That's a but good I've point. always understood that to be um, just the opposite. The federalism was when the sta- when the federal government was more in power than the state. That's so, so that good. Federalist anti-federalist um, argument. Yes. Oh, Karen, I'm so glad you called, and I'm so glad you asked that question because it is very counterintuitive, right? So when we use the word federalism today, it's basically the difference between federalism and nationalism. So instead of having a national government that manages everything in our life, we have a federal government that only does those few things at the federal level and leaves everything else to the states. And so it's this combination of state governments and a federal government. The federalist and the anti-federalist back at the beginning would have all been agreeing with me right now. Like they would have all wanted the federal government to be extremely limited. The difference was that the anti-federalists, it's not that they didn't want to have a federal government at all. They just felt like that even with the Constitution's 15 enumerated powers, that was still too much and that it wasn't enough to hold the federal government in in check. So anti-federalists and federalists, both in the founding era, would have all been considered what we call today conservatives or constitutionalists or those types of things. Um, uh, There there wasn't a a left-wing party. There wasn't a liberal. I mean, the closest thing to a liberal that you could, could have found in terms of expanding the federal government 
government would have been Alexander Hamilton later on doing the banks and, and the banking system and, and, and some of those things. Um, but anyway, all that to say, federalism does mean a limited federal government uh, that works in conjunction with these other governments. It spreads the power out to these different uh, levels of government. That's such a good I'm so glad you called, Karen. That was a great, great question. We cover a lot of that much more in depth in the Constitution classes at PatriotAcademy.com. Okay, let's try to get one more. Joanne in Texas. Joanne, where are you calling from? And quick question. Go for it. Hello? Yes. Is this Joanne? Yes. Hey, what's your comment or question? uh, My question is this. Okay, you got people, you know, that are really evil in this world, and it's a spiritual, spiritual, I'm sorry, spiritual warfare. That's true. How do we protect? like our judges, where they went to their homes and did what they did, and the police department didn't do nothing, and different people. How do we protect the good people that are, you know, stand by them and do what is right? How do we help as Christians to help them? What do we do? Yeah, Joanne, great question. And listen, the first thing you can do right now is pray for their safety and pray that the legal authorities— will uphold the law because right now they're not. They're refusing to protect these justices and and prevent the the, uh, the protesting at their homes, keeping them up late at night, keeping their neighbors up late at night. You already had one assassination attempt on uh, Justice Kavanaugh. And so uh, we need to pray that the, the people in authority will do their job. But it's a reminder, it's a reminder for all of us that there is evil in the world. And this is the whole reason for the Bruin case last week. The laws of nature allow for you to defend yourself. The Bible, there's a biblical right of self-defense, and we have to recognize there is evil in the world. So no matter what law we pass, no no matter how much we pray, all of those things, there's still going to be evil in the world. And that's why it's important for us to be prepared to defend ourselves and our family, to be the wise person that takes precaution and foresees that danger and takes precaution not to be the fool that walks blindly on and suffers the consequences, as Proverbs 27, 12 tells us. So there is a lot that we can do first to protect ourselves, but then we need to pass good laws. We need to put people in office that once again love blind justice and equal justice and will not implement the laws or provide protection only for those that share their political views. What we're seeing right now with the FBI and all of these agencies at the federal level is absolutely a disgrace to blind justice and equal justice. They're only going after their political enemies. It's wrong. And so we have to pray, but we also have to act. And that means we get more involved politically. We get good people elected that love the Constitution and love biblical principles. That's the real answer. PatriotAcademy.com to get into one of those classes. Thanks so much for listening to AFA at the Core. I'll be back with you on Thursday afternoon. I'm Rick Green. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.